Howdy. This is a uh, fuck. Welcome to the fail. Uh, no, 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 I got this. I got this. All right. Welcome to the art of the fail. This is a podcast hosted by Christian Borgazan, co-founder of Bruja, and myself, Chris Buttonham, co-founder of Obi.ai. We chat with startups and entrepreneurs about their failures in hopes to uncover incredible lessons and unmask the stigma around failing today. <laughs> Nobody likes this shit. Let's just get started with the show. So for this season, what Chris and myself have have done is uh, we've brought on an incredible sponsor. And, well, to be honest, the main reason for that is because we're broke and we wanted more money. Yeah, what do you think we, got, we do this for? Of course, you know. I like hanging out with you, buddy. I like hanging out with you. I like bringing <laughs> out in the guests, but we're entrepreneurs. We get with it, right? We got to monetize this bitch. So we brought on a kick-ass sponsor, Stones & Hustle. Stones & Hustle is the ultimate lifestyle brand for entrepreneurs and hustlers of all shapes and sizes. So if, well, first of all, if you haven't checked out the, the video podcast on YouTube, where you been, go there, okay? Go check out The Art of the Fail on YouTube, and then you'll see some amazing threads that we've been wearing all season long. We got t-shirts, we got we got uh, hats, and you can get that and join the movement at stonesandhustle.com. Stonesandhustle.com, get your gear, join the movement, and keep hustling. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Um, the Art of the Fail, in case you did not know or you clicked on a wrong link. Uh, so for those of you who are listening over strictly just the audio or if you're watching this video, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining in on today's episode. Super excited about today's episode. We have another amazing guest, uh, Melanie Sodka. It's like vodka, like vodka. but with an S. <laughs> Melanie told us that, so I'm glad that we kind of clarified things before butchering the last name um and so just a little bit about melanie before we kind of get into it she's an entrepreneur speaker writer business professor uh and she actually also hosts her own podcast called capacity creator so melanie thank you so much for coming on the show wonderful thank you very much for having me it's a pleasure to be here you're welcome you are very welcome all right so in typical fashion, we're going to get started with a quick Q&A, and it's really just for our guests to uh, to get to know you a, a little bit more. So let's hop right into it. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, I have a protein shake every morning. Every morning? Seven seven days a week? Don't, don't deviate from that? I rarely deviate from that. That is my go-to. I put it in my, in my Vitamix. I don't know if you want to know what goes in there. But uh, yeah, yeah, I was gonna right. ask. What, sure, why, let's 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 give us a recipe. Let's, let's have it. A recipe. It's the quickest thing. I have two kids uh, running around at home, so whatever I can throw in there. So it's usually a <laughs> uh, vegan protein uh, powder that goes in there with a banana, frozen fruit, some collagen. Because hey, uh, this lady's got to keep her skin nice. And uh, sometimes if there's uh, spinach, <laughs> <laughs> there's spinach in the fridge, then I will throw that in there too. Very easy. Very nice. Right on. Yeah. Very easy. Uh, I think and I might coffee. have to adopt that oh recipe. My God. Well, actually, I, I have to get I have to get started with actually doing a protein shake, anyways, yeah. uh, to begin with. So, next question: How many cups of coffee or tea uh, do you consume in a day? 
Uh, it depends on the day. Uh, and it depends on what's happened the night previous. Um, so typically it's one to two in the morning and maybe one in the afternoon. I have been known to uh, frequent the Tim Hortons on campus often, um, but I'm trying to cut mm-hmm, back on mm-hmm. that a little bit. Because I don't know if yeah. you guys knew so this. So we got but... another coffee drinker. Oh, yeah. But uh, I was just reading something from Bruce Bazer, and he was talking about the effects of caffeine, which there's so many studies, right, that say, oh, it prevents Alzheimer's or, oh, it's cancer-causing. Like, it just goes back and forth constantly. But the the latest one is that um, it stays in your body for about four hours, and the effects actually take 30 to 60 minutes to take place. So if you're grabbing one before a meeting or before something where you need some energy, you're too late because it's going to take 60 minutes. So once that meeting is done, that's when you're going to feel the high of the caffeine, which I wasn't necessarily aware of. Do you know if there's a difference between natural caffeine and then caffeine that you get from like the coffee bean itself? Hmm. That's a good question. Interesting. No, I do not know much about that. Do you? Yeah, just I'm just curious because no, no, I don't. Um, I take this pre-workout in um, in the morning because I work out in the morning, and it I believe has uh, 200 milligram milligrams of natural caffeine, which is a lot. It's like a, a large coffee or two, and a large. Um, that's like, but it's <laughs> like an but, it, but but they recommend 20 or 30 30 minutes before the the workout. Um, right. Which is interesting, and I, and I I would I would say that I I definitely within thirty minutes I, f- I feel the effects. Yeah, needs to kick in for sure. Makes sense. Yeah, interesting. All right, I'm gonna pull us kind of back towards these questions there. Uh, <laughs> iPhone or or Android? <laughs> Android, Samsung, Samsung user all the way. Yes. Ah. Is that we we is, we, we uh, we've uh, made it back to half. Halfway point, I think. Half guests, Android, half guests, yeah, Apple. Yeah, yeah. We're back. I thought Reeling Apple Apple was taking the lead there for a little bit. So <laughs> Apple just I think we're, we're 50-50 right like, now. It doesn't seem as intuitive, and I know all your Apple listeners are going to be like, what the? But I just, the oh, sense yeah. of the Android just makes so much more sense business-wise and connects to the things I need it to. Mm-hmm. It works well for me. I love it. Awesome favorite book that you have either read or listened to this now this could be within the past month year or you know if you have a favorite book of all time okay so this is completely unconventional because i am looking at my bookshelf right now and it's full of books um, <laughs> and i'm not necessarily a fiction reader at all i'm all about nonfiction, so i geek okay. out on professional development and um, cognitive psychology and things like that. But the best little book that I have read in the last month is called the kids book. And I can't remember the author, but it's called mm-hmm. what to do with an idea. And it is, it mm, captures like the entrepreneurial brain in such a simple way that my kids ate it up because they follow what I do, but I'm, I'm also going to read it to my students. So I'll keep you posted on their reactions to that. But it's literally like I think a 15-page yeah, little book for kids called What to Do with an Idea, and it is exactly how mm. we feel. Like you guys know you have this idea that you've pursued and you've been successful with it and you keep going with it, and it's just it talks about how the idea follows you and it's relentless, and sometimes it looks like it's going to 
swallow you whole, but other times it's there to like boost you up. So it's such a beautiful little story. So that's my favorite one. Very cool. If you can uh, find the, the, the name and the author, we'll put it in the show notes for us. Okay. That yep. sounds good. So the next two questions I have kind of pertain to you hosting uh, your own podcast. First one, what has been the biggest challenge to date so far with hosting uh, your own podcast? Like have, have there been any major minor, what you would call quote unquote fails with that? (laughs) I, and guys, like as a side note, I love the name of the podcast because it truly made me reflect. Um, so when you say fail, I mean, I, you know, listening to the guests and how they've defined failure, right. It's so personal to everybody, mm-hmm. but when it comes to hosting a show, um, I've been pleasantly surprised. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. I was scared shitless. Like I sat in the studio at high studios in Hamilton, um, you know, across from my guests. Cause I, I like to do live, um, podcasts with the person in front of me if it's possible. And right. I was just scared of dead air. I was scared of running out of things to ask. I was scared the guest was going to be uninspired and it was going to fall flat. But those things didn't happen, right? Like it just, it, it really proved that just like active listening and being curious like a kid, like childlike curiosity can bring on fantastic mm-hmm. conversation. And I think, you know, when you start to plan out the way you think the podcast is going to go, it doesn't go that way. And that is so right. great because, you know, the, the, the turns and the twists that it takes, uh, the listeners have really appreciated that. Absolutely. That's actually a really good point. And Chris and myself have definitely noticed that. That's one of the reasons why we do not try to script things or like pre sort of like premeditate things uh, too much. We, we like we like it to be as natural and, and have that organic flow to it. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I, I, I grapple with whether or not we should even um, sometimes chime in and, and just try and put all the focus around the guests, but I'm going to chime in now because it's our podcast and, and we do what we want. But uh, <laughs> um, we definitely like the one thing that we added in terms of structure was making it unstructured. We right. made it long form um, and, and, and that allowed us to, like you said, um, be active listeners, which um I applaud you for because it's it's not easy and, and no, I know no, I've had not. those exact same fears and struggles and I'm sure we we're, we're uh, you know figuring that out as we go um, but with a with a little bit of less structure we have found actually better conversations so it's interesting that uh, that you reflected that way as well oh for mm-hmm. sure for sure you know <laughs> Agreed. it's funny because you know there's a stat out of the University of California of Irvine I believe and it's quoted in one of the books called The Focus Effect. And they say that we're distracted every three minutes of the day. So there's something that pops up. There's a message. There's a, a thought. There's something that distracts us every three minutes. And the craziest part, and I do talk about this on my podcast with more elaboration, but the craziest part of this stat is that it takes us, on average, 23 minutes to get back to task. So... You yeah. are now mm. like you're distracted wow. because you could, to get back to task, you have to realign yourself. You have to get back into your mental space, and so there's like 26 minutes gone, right? Um, that throws you off. Gone. So I found it interesting. So when you're in a podcast, 
the same thing pops through my mind is that how many people are tuning in, tuning out, tuning in, tuning out, and, and are they going to listen to the end? Because, you know, the build-up, right? We're just building up to the great stuff right now, and we've been on for, what, like five, ten minutes? Right. Yeah. About that, yeah. Maybe longer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a little bit longer. <laughs> So stick around. Next, uh, so, uh, next question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please, yes, stick around. All right. Next question. Then we have one more after after this. Sure. So I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna kind of flip that last question around on you. What do you love most about hosting your own podcast? The unexpected. Like I just I get so excited and I and I don't know what conversation will take place. Like we just talked about the unscripted piece and letting it flow. Um, and so I love mm-hmm. where the guests end up taking it because it blows my mind. I'm always surprised pleasantly. Um, and yeah, that's the biggest piece for me is like you never know where the conversation's going to go and what you're going to get. And I love that. I'm not a huge right. predictable person. I love spontaneity. Um, I, I love flying by the seat of my pants. And so, you know, a lot of times that's what happens within a podcast. So that is what I absolutely love the most about, about, the time with my guests for sure how did you um have the foresight to i'm i'm assuming here i guess uh lower your expectations in a way to allow you to have that spontaneity in those conversations and really um be surprised by some of the conversations that are have unfold unfolded interesting so how did i work my mindset to that or how do i manage that yeah, because I mean, uh, I know I'm guilty of, of having expectations of the type of conversation that might may or may not come out of a particular guest or a particular day, um, uh, but it sounds like you've really uh, figured that piece out about how to, you know, enjoy the spontaneity and and enjoy the um, the surprises that come up in these conversations. It's just... I think it comes down to personality Um, and it's something that I study and that Mm -hmm. I research on quite a bit. And there are people who plan, there are people who like the structure, there are people who require that uh, for their own personal equilibrium and that uh, structure boxes me in and um, stifles my creativity. And so I really think it does come down to a personality thing where I, I just, that's my preferred method of, of going through life. Uh, it drives my husband crazy. Uh, it drives a lot of people around me crazy. Um, but, you know, there's, you know, I have obviously infused structure in my life. I have to as a human being, as a productive human being, but it's right. just part of who I am. But for people who are more structured, how to let that stuff go is just trust, right? Like just have more trust in mm-hmm. where the conversation will go. Have trust in yourself that you're providing an opportunity for people to learn uh, from, from your show. We always have to curate things. I think we're Interesting. I think we're always on the hook or feeling on the hook to curate amazing material because like how many podcasts are out there? Right. Right. And so we want to make sure that mm-hmm. we're we're mm-hmm. doing great. We're at the top. But curation doesn't always work. It's uh That's a good point. Such a good self aware point. I mean, I I am sure Christian wants to strangle me sometimes because I'll I will literally be, you know, sitting on the edge of indecisiveness for weeks battling of whether or not I'm going to even release an episode that we recorded because I don't like the quality or or what have you and and I think at the end of the day it's it's about putting it out, learning from, you yeah, know, those yeah. hiccups and uh and and like you said there's so many podcasts 
um, out there and uh, uh, you're not going to win by, you know, just tweaking every little aspect mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. it, you know, to get it perfect because perfect doesn't really exist. Doesn't exist. No, it doesn't. It's Nobody not wants ha- perfect wow, you're, necessarily. Your chair I mean, is squeaky. People think they do, but yeah. It's the nuances. It's like the funny parts. It's the drops. It's the, the, the hiccups that actually keep people engaged. Yep. Sorry, I'm I'm a little Apol- apologize <laughs> to the listeners and Melanie for my squeaky I'm a little fucking dis- chair. I'm a little distracted. This chair is driving me nuts right now. It's right. I'm like I'm just gonna sit like this for the rest of the podcast yeah. and try and stay very still. <laughs> oh my god! Timely? It's funny because it wasn't bo- it it was it wasn't bothering me at first, but now it's like now that I know it's squeaking, <laughs> all I'm doing is paying attention to this squeaky chair, which is. Anyways, I got to move on I'm, from I'm the squeaky chair. So to wrap things up with these uh, questions, sure. <laughs> I was going to say quick, but those were not quick at all. Uh, are you ready to, I guess we've kind of already got started, but are you ready to actually get started and, and kind of dive into the failure part of the podcast? Hell yeah. Let's do it. Let's go. All righty. Excellent. Let's do it. So, uh, Melanie, what we have very, uh, our listeners have very little context about you. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit more about you? Um, I really enjoy, uh, going back as, as early as you're willing to go, you know, what your childhood was like, um, what, uh, what, what your parents do and, and how that maybe, um, you know, formed you into who you are today. Mm -hmm. Jesus. Okay, where how do I start that? Right, where do we go? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, well, I'm an only child. Uh, grew up in Niagara. This is just boring shit. Okay, let me just tell you about how entrepreneurialism <laughs> um, didn't necessarily exist in my in my immediate family. So uh, let's just say that I'm probably the most entrepreneurial person um, in our family at this point. I'm pretty much the only person who owns their own business. Um, teaching business and that type mm-hmm. of thing. So a lot of my family will scratch their head and say, where'd this kid come from? Um, but I will say that uh, there's an entrepreneurial mindset that exists, right? You don't have to be an entrepreneur. And I teach this a lot to my students. Right. So growing up, you know, I always wanted to, to be in business and I always wanted to teach. I was the only child. So let's face it, like I took the stage quite a bit. Uh, maybe I stole the stage quite a bit. And so I think I just got used to um, being able to express uh, my thoughts and and I had a lot of listening ears, so I think that helped me be comfortable with my profession of speaking, um, being in front of people, uh, and just yeah, just being comfortable in my skin that way. So so growing up, I think that has really contributed. Um, I was given a lot of latitude as well to try different things, so always involved in different sports. Um, you know, I even just, even just schooling, I started off in kinesiology, ended up in HR, um, and now, you know, I have my own business. So there's the whole unstructured approach, which has served me well, which has just allowed me to, to go where I am. Um, so yeah, I think that in a nutshell, everything has contributed to where I am today. I don't have regrets, so I don't live my life with any regrets. You know, let's be honest. I don't think I've ever admitted this before publicly, but uh, I failed out at kinesiology. I didn't get back in um, first year. So and You heard it first on the Art of the Fail here. 
You did. You did. And that, ooh, that would almost make me yeah. a little bit because, you know, there's right? a part of me as well that likes to create, you know, and maintain a certain image. Um, so, you know, art of fail. I failed out of kinesiology, folks. You know, that's right. so that, that wasn't cool. But again, no regrets because that's just not what I was meant to do. And I realize that now, right. which is which is great. So I love where I am. I mean, corporate world uh, chewed me up and spit me out, and I loved it and hated it, but it's allowed me to do what I do today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So take us back to you failing out of kinesiology. Um, what got you interested in that originally? And then how did that unfold a little bit? Oh, gosh. Okay, so just my love for sports. So, you know, was just an, an avid athlete growing up. Um, basketball was my, my favorite sport, the sport that I really did well in. And I thought, you know, and I wanted to teach. So I thought, let's go to kinesiology. Let me learn about sport and, and the human body and then mm-hmm. become a phys ed teacher. Yeah, I'm one of those, right? So I thought that was going to be the trajectory. And then <laughs> realized that I really sucked uh, at math and like science in general, like it just wasn't my strong suit. Um, so quickly realized mm-hmm. that I was just w- wasn't going to excel in those areas. Um, so so you're in good company here. <laughs> Who else is it very uh, strong suited in those areas? <laughs> oh, oh, both of us. Okay. Oh, both of us. Well, yeah, I, I, I was gonna say I'm not sure if you've listened to any of our any of the previous episodes where we talk a little bit about our own educational fuck-ups you could say (laughs) or mishaps or experience but yeah chris and myself actually both failed out of our programs too i got back into i don't know if you got did you get back into yours unfortunately not yeah i got back into mine but i was kind of like why i was kind of like why did i even bother getting back into this because i did not like it but oh well so it's funny i don't know I, i just find it really like funny because most of the guests that we've had on all share this very like common trait where i i don't think that many of us realize how common it actually is yeah i mean it, i don't i don't mean to be a broken record or 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 say something that everybody already knows but i mean almost all of our guests had either struggled or or failed out of their their program if they were in one and most of them um, stop you right there and then uh, make sure to reiterate the fact that they did learn something from the university mm-hmm, experience, mm-hmm. but it was outside of the classroom or was, you know, not as technical or tactical as, you know, people think it is. Um, but it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's super, super interesting. So well, uh, after you flunked out, what was your what was your next move? What uh, you must have been distraught and uh, and worried <laughs> about what the next move was. Was or happy, about, yeah, yeah, or relieved. Yeah. No, no, I was, I, I was worried about what the parentals were going to say because they were, uh, they were helping to right. build. So yeah, so that was an interesting conversation. Uh, summer school was next mm-hmm. to upgrade, and then um, sociology was my was my natural next move. Um, but I wanted to add something about this experience because um, I didn't yep. earn the right to fail. And this is one of the, I guess, learning experiences or lessons in my life that I pass on to my students. And earning the right to fail means you have to go 100% and still not succeed. 
And a lot of my students will go 80% mm-hmm. of the way and stop. It's like if you're running an, a kilometer race or a 10 kilometer race and you stop at 8K or 800 meters, you're like, whatever, I'm just, right. I'm going to give up. I don't like, I'm not going to make it or I have something else to do or I'm just bored. You don't even earn the right to fail at that point. Yeah, that's actually, yeah. that's really interesting. So would you say then that there is a distinct difference between, because I'm actually pretty interested in this now, that there's a distinct difference between failing where like you're putting it, you're putting actually your blood, sweat and tears into something that doesn't pan out the way you want it to and just merely stopping and giving up. Okay, you're going to have to repeat that one because I couldn't hear you. Please. Maybe yeah, Chris, you ask. Yeah, so uh, he was asking what you, what sort of dichotomy you see between an individual who just stops and gives up, and how they perceive that as failure versus actually, you know, running as hard as you can and then falling down. Mm-hmm. That's a great question because, um, again, I think it's how we perceive what failing is all about, and as a prof. Um, like I'll give you an example. I had a student who it, who came out of my entrepreneurial program or who took my entrepreneurial program at Mohawk and is hugely successful, right? She has her own business. She's making great coin. Like she's, she's on to something. Right. Um, and I won't name names uh, just because I'm not sure if she'd want me to share yep. this, but she had one course to finish, one exam to complete, and she didn't even do it. Um, so... But she had a good excuse, right? She had a, like for me, I was like, okay, this is justified. Running a business, she's running a successful business and she couldn't finish the program because right. of that. So she can always come back and finish it. So that's one example of like, okay, I get it. Like you're focused on your business, that took precedent. Fine. Um, people who just get lazy, people who just go 80% mm-hmm. and just don't have enough um enough intention or, you know, enough stamina or enough, like, that to finish, I don't, I don't support that. Like, I don't buy that. And I'll call my students out at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. You can see come March. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It's like, it, and again, I'll have a conversation. Like, you did not earn the right to fail. You don't have the right to fail right now. Right. I, man, I love that concept, honestly. I, I think um, uh, it's, it's a really... Um, refreshing way to spin a I think a a topic that you know um, gets thrown around a lot about you know lazy um, millennials and we can I mean I I argue on both sides of that you know Um, but uh, I like the fact that you say that it's not earned because Mm -hmm. I think what's not earned Mm -hmm. is is not the necessarily the right to fail at least in my redefinition but but the right to uh, learn what you could have learned or grown on the other side of the actual failure. Right, right. Yes, yes. I love that point because when you give up, you're not, you're not learning anything. It, it's really, that yeah. is, that's a habit um, and it's probably a cycle and there's nothing to learn. You probably just, you might, they might not even feel like shit after they give up um, or quit early. They'll, they'll probably, right. It's probably just the norm for them. There's nothing, you're right, there's nothing to learn. There's a lot lost at that 
So I think I've asked this exact same question before because we seem to also breed a a plethora of sociology degrees on the art of the fail. But with <laughs> with sociology degree in hand, what was your next move? What uh, what were you inspired to do afterwards? I think I think you did the exact same thing too, though. <laughs> Holding the power, <laughs> the power, the power of the forty thousand oh, dollar paper. I maybe I more. Did, I did what most parents would probably despise. Um, I went out west for the summer. I went to Lake Louise mm. um, with a girlfriend, and we went and we worked. And my parents are like, "What the hell are you doing? Like, we just paid for education, and now you're going to go bus tables. Like, what is this, right?" Um, and so mm-hmm. we, I did it anyways. I didn't even go to my graduation, um, which, which is probably a bit of still the stinging, stinging point. But so I went there, but I, I knew I was coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was coming back. Right. I needed to just get out, um, go have fun, go see a different part of Canada, travel a little bit. And that was the best way. So I came back that September. I wasn't gone for very long and I threw myself into human resources. So I don't know if that's another common trajectory for your sociology uh, guest, but you know the gift of the gab. The well, a lot of a lot of corporate pa- paths that happen after that that sociology degree. Mm-hmm. Ah, well, and that's that's where I went. I ended up at General Mills, so I was in corporate for almost ten years, and I did marketing and HR. Um, so again, just uh, you know, just a huge learning curve for most of the time. Um, but I, again, no regrets, right? Life brings you places, you make the best of it, you go with it and you take what you can from it. What do you think you learned the most, um, from your 10 years at Mm -hmm. General Mills or interested in the corporate world in general? Um, I learned what I wasn't supposed to do. I learned what I, let me rephrase that. I learned what I wasn't meant to to be doing. Uh, and I'll give you a bit more context on that. Um, Hmm. It's interesting because when everything, when it's still always an uphill battle or there's always a steep learning curve, at some point you have to plateau, at some point you have to be comfortable, but I felt like it was always an uphill battle. I think the corporate world just didn't allow me to be spontaneous me to be as creative as I wanted to be, um, to have as much latitude as I need. Um, that's why entrepreneurs go and work for themselves. I didn't like working for other people. I didn't, I didn't like trying to please somebody all the time. Right. Like I, I was just kind of the captain of my own ship. Uh, and so that's what I learned is that I can't work for anybody. Like I don't aspire to be Dean or associate Dean. Like I like my prof job. I like my side gig, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. because I get to manage that myself. So that was a big, huge learning. Now, so I'm, we, we get deep here on, on the art of the world. Some, <laughs> some listeners or, or people watching on YouTube might, might, uh, ask, uh, 10 years. What, uh, what took you so long to figure that out? Was it just life, you know, uh, responsibilities or, or what was the thinking there? Oh, um, I was probably feeding my own ego a little bit, right? So small town girl from mm-hmm. Niagara, working in Toronto, big corporate, moving up. Because I was successful. Um, you know, I, I did well. But right. it was to the detriment of a lot of things, right? It was a detriment to relationships. 
um, sacrifice a lot of time. Like I was working 12, 14, 16 hours traveling a lot. Um, but small town girl working big city, big corporate. So, you know, that kept my ego fed mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um, so, I mean, that was, that was a big piece that took me a while to realize. And finally I had a baby. So, um, for your listeners mm-hmm. who have babies, that changes your world completely. So commuting yeah. an hour and a half right. each way with a babe and, um, just, just wasn't going to work anymore. So I tried my hand at teaching and that's where I completely fell in love. And, uh, this is what keeping your expectations at bay gets you. Cause I was surprised by the first half of the answer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. So I, I was Chris. Yeah. Chris kind of beat me to, to that question. I was going to ask something very similar, but I guess my next question to sort of top that one off would be when did you real or come to the realization after the nine or the 10 years that like, okay, enough is enough. Like mm, yeah. now, the tipping point, like maybe. What, what was the tipping point or probably the many tipping points uh, throughout your career? But like, what was the final like aha moment where it's like, okay, I, you know, I, I can't, and I really should not be doing this anymore for myself. I, I need to shake things up and, and do, yeah. do stuff more for me. The, t- the tipping point, or I mean, let I don't believe there's necessarily one tipping point. I think it's a culmination of different points mm-hmm. within those 10 years that start to stack up. Absolutely. Um, and then you just, I think it's the courage to jump, the courage to move. I took a huge pay cut too, right? Like going from corporate to teaching, like people don't go into teaching to make money. Like let's just be honest. Right. Um, so yeah. <laughs> you just don't, you do it because you love it and you do it for the intrinsic value. And I think that's where I was unfulfilled mm-hmm. was the intrinsic part. So at General Mills, I got to dabble and I got to taste that intrinsic piece by um, when I went into HR, I got to do training uh, and I got to inspire people and help people enjoy their jobs. So again, I found a way to leverage some of my unhappiness in corporate, turn it around and help people get a little bit more enjoyment mm-hmm. out of corporate. I mean, corporate's not bad. It's just not for everyone. And um, right, so, right. So, I, so I think that, so I think at that point when I was like, oh, wow, okay, so I can get up here, inspire people and teach, where else could I do this? And I had done my master's mm-hmm. while I was at General Mills as well. So that helped get my foot in the door into a teaching position. And um, so I think, you know, having the baby, knowing that I could actually stand up in front of people, inspire them and um, teach them. I was like, okay, you know, let's, let's, let's try a teaching gig. Let's see how this goes with some college students mm-hmm. and if I can handle it. And I fell in love <laughs> with it. That's awesome. And I really enjoyed the point you made about how corporate isn't necessarily bad. It's just not for everybody. And it's something we talk about a lot on, on the podcast where, yep. you know, I think, and, and, and even in, in how we are attempting to target um, our listeners, our listenership, our podcast mm-hmm. in general, we're not necessarily pointed at startups or entrepreneurs specifically. Right. right. Uh, we really just want to have nice, you know, open and honest, long form conversations with anyone willing to sit down with us. And, and one of the things is that, um, I, yeah, I think you touched on it in the beginning about entrepreneurship and, 
Um, we don't, I, I don't believe that entrepreneurship can ne- necessarily be taught. And I also don't believe that entrepreneurship should be for everybody. It, it, it gets way too over glorified for something that's very difficult. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, and there are lots of benefits the reason the three of us do it mm-hmm. and, and a lot of the listeners out there, but uh, there's, there's many reasons not to. And, and so um, that's why we, we love having all kinds of, of different people on the show to talk about these Absolutely. experiences, yeah. maybe not only to inspire somebody to, to leave a position, change a position um, or quite possibly stay um, or make a, a yeah. lateral movement of, of sorts. So um, I'm glad that you brought that up. Um now the the question that came up as I was listening to to that story was, uh, what is the one thing that you think that you took from from the the corporate experience uh, at GM that you that really really helped um, mm-hmm. your entrepreneurial endeavors? Um, and I know you said you know the training uh, at GM catapulted the the teaching, but uh, what 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 did you take from that experience that maybe people um, don't realize uh, only comes from that world and that that's actually quite valuable? I think it was just the diversified skill. There's a lot, Chris, to be honest with that one. Like there's just a huge answer because um, I surprised myself at times, right? So um, look, starting from kinesiology and going into the business world is a little unconventional. Um, that just wasn't the trajectory that I thought or that people thought that I would end up in. So, you know, where I am now is, is, is where I'm meant to be. But I think, you know, building that confidence would be number one is like, okay, you know, I was able to Mm. slay the business world. Like I, I did well, even though I didn't always feel comfortable in my skin and I knew that it wasn't for me, I could still do it. Uh, so that was huge, huge resilience building. Um, so just being resilient, resilient against the pressure, against the demands, um, you know, meeting, like, I mean, we were selling cereal, right? You, you have to sell cereal, um, which we were lucky because we have, we had the number one brand, uh, Cheerios at the time, but still like we had to meet these quotas and we had to meet our numbers every year. Um, so those are, those are two things. So just confidence and resilience were were two of the big life lessons that still live within me right and i think everybody would experience something different but that stuff sticks and i think that'll be with me until i die like that was just a huge proof to myself that i can overcome some big pressure Mm -hmm. very cool now let's take that and and talk about uh you starting your own business and and super excited to hear uh, the inspiration behind your your podcast and and how that sort of um, st- started out and and what maybe hiccups have have come up uh, in the uh, initial stages. Sure. Um, so starting my own business was something again. I you know corporate world. I I knew I didn't want to work for anybody else. I thought okay, I'm going to go and get certified in coaching because before exiting General Mills, I real like I was hooking up some of the executives with their own coaches. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm hmm. doing that naturally already. Like people would come to my office uh, and, you know, really close the door and they'd want to have these big deep conversations with me. So I knew that my natural curiosity could lend itself um, to a business. So I went and, and got certified right. in coaching through CPI. 
uh, which was life-changing because at the same time you're you're going through counseling essentially which which is crazy so um, met some fantastic people and then I got my first massive gig from my certification process so I'm bilingual so I also speak French so um, they were looking this oh. company called yeah this company called I am gold was looking for a, a person who can run training sessions for their managers up in northern Quebec and I don't oh. hardly turn things down which is work capacity and I'll get to that in a second but I don't turn much down or I didn't get that stage I'm like yeah I'll do it so fly me to Quebec for a week two stints of these weeks um, doing full training in French now for your bilingual listeners business French is like a third language so I was listening to CBC in French for weeks on end so that I can brush up on my business French, you know, just trying to understand how the hell do I get my head around, you know, I'm going to be training all day for two weeks um, up in northern Quebec. And again, for my francophone friends out there, right, like the French is a little different in different parts of, of Canada. So uh, anyways, needless to say, it went really well. I'm glad I took the chance. It was difficult, but that really catapulted because then I could see how much money I can make. I saw how lucrative, um, you know, mm, going out on mm, your own and, right, and, right. and doing this and capitalizing on my innate skills could be. So that was a big boost for me. So just it continued from there and it continued word of mouth. But where capacity creator comes from is like, let's say just the next 10 years of my life, you know, after corporate is about saying yes to everything. And as entrepreneurs, in the beginning, 99% of us say yes to everything because we, why would we turn down a check? Why would we turn down an opportunity to build our brand and our portfolio? Um, and I was right. saying yes so much that I was back at that whole depletion stage. I was back at, I wasn't respecting capacity, overworking myself to the detriment of family, friends, so back into that cycle again. Um, but, High capacity people can do a lot, right? So why would I say no? So that's a yeah, so it's a right really there. fascinating. Oh, sorry, um, there's a bit of a delay, but uh, uh, it's a really fascinating topic. I was talking to a, a friend and fellow um, startup founder of mine uh, a while ago, and we were talking about saying yes to things, saying no to things, how we respect our own time and i'll be honest something i grapple with a lot um i'm i actually err on the side of of saying yes to more than than maybe i should mm -hmm. and yeah um, me too i often prioritize um efficient communication so i'm i'm an email answer mm -hmm. you know very mm -hmm. pretty pretty quick at emailing and and communicating that way and um the reason i'm i'm telling you uh and the listeners this is because a lot of people would strongly disagree with that and i'd love to get your take on on um on how to balance that that whole that whole situation um, between you know saying yes um, and I'm sure too there has to do with with stages of your life right I, I know that I think Christian might echo this when I say you know when when you're much younger or you're st just even when you're just starting out you kn if you have the self-awareness to know that you need to learn 
a whole bunch of shit, then <laughs> saying yes, I think actually helps you there because you're going to fail more on the other side of that failure is the growth and the learnings. Um, so I'll shut the fuck up and you tell us what you think the balance is there. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, please and, do. <laughs> uh, you know, I love what you're saying because you know, there's different frameworks that I've developed to help coach people and that I use in my keynotes um, on how to say yes and how to say no, right? Because your capacity is finite, right? And I'll just, I don't know if you guys can see me, but I have my two hands up. Right. And between my two hands, like, that's the mm -hmm. time I have. So how do I cut that up into the chunks that I want to devote my energy and my passion to? And how big are those chunks? What right. percentage you know, of time is that taking me? And so you have to be really discerning about that. You have to be really disciplined in sticking to your core values. So again, last, the last 10 years has, has been really an exercise of what is it that I value in my life? Um, and you have to pare that down. So I call, I call this thing a three by three. And it's like, what are your top three roles in your life? What are the top three roles that you play in the world right now? And so if you're a little bit, kind of take quick notes. So you, you think about those top three roles, and then you put down three objectives that you want to accomplish within those roles. So three roles and three objectives for each. And that's kind of your roadmap. That, that's what you stick to. And anything that is incongruent with that is what you have to say no to. And you can revisit this. Like, I mean, I'm a big goal setter. Every year, my husband and I sit down in January. And we're like, okay, what do we want to accomplish? And we've been doing this for the last six years. And then we go back every year and say, okay, did we do it? Did we not? So it's a way to keep yourself um, accountable. But really, family OKRs. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's that's a, that's a that's a big piece. But I, I love what you said. Like the first ten years of my career. Yeah, bring it on. I don't have, I didn't have children. Mm -hmm. I had the capacity, you know, I had the resilience. Um, I had the time. So yeah, sure. Say yes. But there's a time where that starts to change and you have to start respecting it right. a little bit more. I, I think too, cause this is, you know, this, uh, as well for everyone listening or, or watching, like, you know, I think most of us do grapple with that, like, <laughs> unknown or uncertainty of like what our capacity is and like how often we should be saying yes versus no like i think it's something that literally every the fomo in the no as well exactly i yeah. think it's something that oh, everyone FOMO. resonates yeah. at some some point some <laughs> <laughs> some point in their life but i also think too that um you know starting out you truly don't know what your capacity is so to really actually figure out what your capacity is and what you should be saying no to, you have to say yes to those things. In my opinion, like if I didn't say yes to 10 things, for example, then I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known that I should not have said no to, to maybe the ninth or the 10th thing, for example. Yeah. And it, and it comes full circle, right? With the whole, um, not earning the right to, to fail. Right. Is, um, you know, if you're, early on again not necessarily just age we're talking here but on early on in any endeavor i actually love that earning the right to fail. yeah it's it's I, it's I, great and if you don't if you actually don't try it or you don't maybe say yes in this context then you actually um aren't earning the right to get right. on the other side of that maybe right 
Yeah, that is a chapter but in But yes, my I, I need to say no book more. book that I'm writing. So stay tuned. <laughs> oh, very nice. Is there anything that you can hint about the is, upcoming is book? Is that another first mention on the Art of the Fail <laughs> podcast? You know what? It might be. It might be the first big public mention. Yeah, so there you go. I'm not going to tell you to mark your challenges yet, uh, but, yeah, but it, it's, in yeah. it's in progress. Yeah. All right, there well, we go. It's, in, it's in progress. Well, quick thing. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, please, please. Okay, I'm going to take you through a trajectory of just to your point, Christian, too, about like knowing, you know, you, you, ha- you have to hit this point. It's almost like you have to hit the wall mm-hmm. to know that where your limits are um, and, and saying yes yeah. to as many things as you can before you're like, okay, shit, I got I to gotta put some parameters. I got to put some, a framework in place. So the common trajectory yeah. for a high capacity person starts with saying yes to everything. Right, so you're 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 indulgent. You have all this energy. You're enthusiastic, and you're saying yes. Mm-hmm. But there comes a point where you have so many commitments on your plate that you can no longer fulfill them, and so you kind of fall down mm-hmm. to another kind of capacity where it's fatigued. Like you can't burn out. You can't do anything anymore. You're demotivated. You've probably let yeah. a couple people down, and it's a it's a, quite a shitty place to be. So you don't want to stay there very long. So then you kind of recalibrate and you go to a different profile called reserved. So now you're way more careful and a lot more discerning about what you're saying yes to. So you're probably saying no a lot more often just to build up those reserves again. But the peak or the Mm -hmm. optimal place that you want to be in this trajectory is the maximized capacity. And that's where you're respecting Mm -hmm. the three by three rule that I talked about. That's where you're, you're laser focused on what you want to accomplish and you're dedicated to the top priorities and you're on your game. Um, you're not over caffeinated, you know, you're, 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 things are, are firing at all cylinders. So you want to try and preserve and maintain that space as much as you can. And yeah, we're probably going to tip back over into indulgent capacity, but how do you, stop the cycle from going through, you know, fatigue and then just kind of tip back over to maximize so that you could stand your game. That's amazing. And it, and it sounds to me like all of this starts with at least defining some core values and some core goals. Mm-hmm. I think that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty consistent. I know you write down what uh, your, your to-do list and goals each day, which I admire each I, day. I, I yeah, do I do. That. You know what? I've been really shitty at doing it lately. Are but you letting uh, me down. I was I was propping you up, and now. But he's not. He's not wrong. I I typically do, I typically do that. And what I do is I just write down three things for the day. So those would be like my three critical tasks that I need to get done for the day. And pretty much I don't end my day until those three things get done. And I'll write down what I call like a floating like a floating list or a rotating list. Um, and I'll, I'll keep that on a separate page and anything on that list, I'll start to tackle after I have those three critical tasks finished. It works. Yeah. I think, I think too, um, not, not a tidbit from me, but just something I'm observing from, from you guys and a lot of our guests is, um, once you have those, those goals, um, uh, and values sort of figured out writing it down and mm-hmm. actually putting pen to paper so to speak actually helps um yeah 
um, you know, execute those goals. I would be super interested in what you have to say about that, Melanie. For sure. Again, it becomes your roadmap and it's such a, a good practice. Like Robin Sharma is the one who taught me the 20-20-20 rule. 20 minutes of exercise in the morning, mm-hmm. 20 minutes of learning something new in the morning, and 20 minutes of, of planning, right? So setting up your day is so mm-hmm. critical to stay on task. Um, a lot of the times, like I said before, I would fly by the seat of my pants, I'd get up, and I'd be at the mercy of my day. Well, you know, I could right. pull it off most times, but... You know, again, I'm like, wow, I'm thanking my lucky stars that stuff didn't blow up in my face. And I don't want to run my life like that. Um, so taking the time in the morning, you know, that, that really precious hour to do those things sets up the day in such a way that it's almost fail-proof, right? Like it would eliminate yeah. your podcast. We hope not. Yeah, I was gonna say, we hope it's not fail-proof. Um, but, uh, no. So no one <laughs> do that. Yeah. We're just going to snip that right out of the episode. <laughs> no, that's that's uh, that's awesome, uh, Melanie. I uh, want to be mindful of time here running out. Um, is there anything uh, that you want to say that we didn't get to before we, we finish off with what we always finish off with? Uh, okay, I'll just give you a quick visual because um, ego cake is one of the structures where it help people respect their capacity. Um, so just very quickly, where that came from is, look, it's a conversation with my mom. And she said, Mel, like your life looks like this beautiful, bountiful dessert table, right? So full of decadent desserts. Mm. And you have taken a bite out of every single one. I was like, yeah, hell yeah. Like, and they're all good. And she asked me, which one have you enjoyed the most? And I couldn't answer her. And I think that's where ego drives us to overcommit, um, to overindulge. And I think that if we can just keep ourselves um, to our goals, to our values, um, and really stick to the things that we love and, and honor the energy that we have to pursue that, uh, you know, we'll stop the overindulging. We'll be happier people and more productive people. That's a amazing point. And I think you're looking at the poster childs of overindulgence over here. Um, we yep. always have four or five projects on the go. Um, but I just wanted to make a yeah, personal um, um, relatability there because I know when I was younger, I, I, um, fell in love with a bunch of different hobbies and, uh, people always ask me magic. Yeah. You, you were going to bring it up. Okay. Magic. So I was a magician. I was an entertainer actually. Um, <laughs> and, it. uh, it's actually, re- it's, it's actually really good. And I'm just going to like throw it out there. Cause Chris doesn't want me to throw it out there, <laughs> but, uh, Great. yeah, you guys should check it out on YouTube. His videos are still Excellent. there. I was, I was actually watching a few of them last week excellent <laughs> sorry chris <laughs> hey they're good i've been they're trying actually to they're actually good i've been trying to avoid that uh this entire podcast you just made my day anyways you're gonna be you're gonna be watching magic videos yeah <laughs> <laughs> for the rest of your day so but but uh i did i did i really enjoyed it and um and i did that uh for quite a, a few years when I was younger and and it's something I could have continued to do but I always I always knew that um, entrepreneurship wouldn't leave me and I 
and uh, and I I had to pick one I thought because I my my thought was that um, I uh, I always wanted to be the best at whatever it did I whatever it is I did and um, in order to do that I feel like you have to have some level of commitment and obsession mm-hmm. to something mm-hmm. and uh, and sometimes people have to make tough decisions like my my move out of the uh, the magic industry <laughs> I'm, a, I'm actually kind of disappointed that you did not stick that there mind you I probably wouldn't have met you but none, nonetheless it uh, it was good Chris is just taking a quick break right now to fix our camera yeah candidly. No and he is back. <laughs> Look at that. I also uh, dabbled in video production when I was younger, and uh, and and clearly made the right decision into <laughs> entrepreneurship instead of uh, focusing on that full time. <laughs> um, awesome, uh, Melanie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we go, what we'd like to do is ask our our guests. Uh, to share who they or you in this instance would uh, call out and 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 want to be on the art of the fail. It might be somebody you know, maybe it's something somebody that you don't know, but really just want to hear more about their story, what happened there, type thing. Who would you call out for the art of the fail? Ooh, good question. Uh, again, this is somebody that ideally can come on the show or just anybody that i'm curious about anyone we had we had um who who was it was it sanjay Hmm. somebody called somebody out that was dead oh (laughs) and uh yeah but but it was like he would he would have wished that he heard that story right right i think it might have been sanjay yeah anyways um so it doesn't have to be anybody i mean ideally obviously this is a this is a growth hack um, if yeah. you, I, I'm, I'm sure you could see between the lines here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, for sure. So I won't mention anybody that's deceased, <laughs> so that we possibly <laughs> we could get a. You know, I followed this person for a long time. I, who I love is Mel Robbins. There's so many. There's Mel Robbins. There's Robin Sharma. Um, I love their literature. I love their stories. Um, I mean, Mel Robbins has such Wasn't a great Mel story. Wasn't Mel Robbins the one I was talking about, about the five-second rule? Is that is that Mel Robbins? Yes, that's her. That's her. It is, right? Yeah. Got to get, her, gotta get yeah. her on the show then. Uh, and if you do, I have to come on the show as well. So just know that if you get her, I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a co-host. Uh, deal. Uh, awesome. Yeah, yes. she's fantastic. She's quite inspiring, and she's failed. She's failed. So, like, she's just failed to, to, to catastrophic um, points, but has rebounded so beautifully. Amazing. Perfect guest. And that's a good way to end the show. Melanie, thank you so much again for uh, coming on the show. Uh, tell our listeners and watchers, whoever's, uh, where they can uh, find you and where they can find that podcast. Whoever's. Absolutely. <laughs> Whoever else is on here. Um <laughs> No, I, first yeah. of all, guys, I just we love thank you, guys. you for, for having me and for really owning this topic. And you guys do a fantastic job. Um, I'm big fans. Thank and, you. And, you know, you, you guys are, are really, you're rock stars. So thank you for having me and thanks for doing what you do. Um, the we second, appreciate that. Yeah. And if you want to know 
more about me, um, you can go to capacitycreator.com um, or you can follow me on Instagram at capacitycreator, Melanie Sodka, like vodka with an S. Uh, and, like vodka. Yes. And the podcast is on iTunes and um, SoundCloud. Capacity Creator is the name. So I'd love to see you there Excellent. and have some comments. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll listeners, uh, you better subscribe. Yeah. Capacity Creator. <laughs> we'll 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 put all of all of those links in uh, in the show notes. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so people can follow along. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye. All right. Have a good day.